Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. I missed you. Uh, we took several days off last week uh, conducting daytime revival here at Woodburn Baptist Church, the church I serve. It was the best three days for me. Uh, somebody said, Pastor wasn't that a lot of work? You, know, you had to preach all those days last week. Uh, gosh, preaching isn't work like that when uh, the people of God are so alive in worship and so open and excited to hear God's word. It was just a pleasure, an all-around pleasure. And all of you who were part of that, either in person or here online, God bless you. Daytime Revival was great. Can't wait for that again next year. We should do it more often. But anyway, thank you guys for giving me the break from uh, Tim with Tim. It, it is. It does get difficult when I have morning obligations like that to keep showing up for Tim with Tim. So I, I did go ahead and make last week easy on myself by uh, by giving us a break. But we're going to start something brand new today. I, I didn't tell you what I'm going to do, and I'm sorry. The Book of Job. Let's do the Book of Job together. Uh, I, I feel really good about this. Again, Job's another one of those books, though. You think, oh, I love Job, but. Lots of times you've only read the first couple of chapters and then the last couple of chapters, and Job's got a lot of chapters. <laughs> and uh, we typically skip over. Preachers don't always preach those middle chapters. They are long. They can become repetitious, but uh, we're into this, right? I mean, we're going verse by verse through the Word of God, and so we're not going to skip anything. And uh, we're just going to see how God will speak to us. We're going to read it together. It's going to be good. I can't wait. So Job chapter 1 today, verses 1 to 22. I know most of you haven't read ahead because you didn't know what to read, but uh, you can either stop now, come back uh, after you've read it and listened to Tim with Tim, or you can listen to what I say and then use that to guide your reading as you start this great book. And it is a great book, the book of Job. Job is possibly, some say, the oldest book in the Old Testament. Did you ever think about that? Um, it could be the oldest book in the Old Testament for the simple reason that it doesn't seem to know anything about the rest of the Old Testament. There's no reference to the covenant, no reference to the temple, temple worship, no reference to Abraham or any of that, the patriarchs, nothing. So that makes many scholars believe that the book of Job comes from some you know, ancient time that predates all of that, in, in which case this is an amazing book of the Bible, and I love it even more than I thought, you know? Um, the name of Job itself, the name Job, is somewhat hard to understand or translate. It's not a common name. In Hebrew, uh, there are related names in, in, in Semitic languages, but we're not sure exactly what the name means. It has a couple of possibilities, and all of them intriguing. Uh, the name Job can mean hated or the persecuted which is really interesting and sad. Uh, the name Job also can be related to the name of fathers, but it would mean something like no father or, importantly, where is my father? <laughs> so we don't know what Job means, but whatever it means, it's probably a rather haunted kind of name that pertains to abandonment or suffering, which just makes sense, right? Uh, there was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, Uz, according to the first verse here. We don't know where ooze or us is either. We have any idea where that is. It's not a place we know of or not a place we can identify with any sort of certainty, which is kind of, I think, the way of uh, the author of Job or the Holy Spirit himself just sort of setting this story uh, a long time ago in a land far away, you know? Um, I'm not saying that Job isn't a real person. I believe that he is, but... Also, in a very important sense, uh, he's a real person, but he's also every person. The book of Job deals with 
what are the most painful and unavoidable, unavoidable questions in human life? And, and for that reason, Job becomes a stand-in for you, and Job becomes a stand-in for me. I mean, he may be a real guy in a land long ago, far away, but I'm telling you at the same time, man, he could be uh, a man right now uh, in Israel or the Gaza Strip or Ukraine or any other place you can imagine human suffering, but not just suffering. The book of Job deals with just the concept or the mystery of arbitrary suffering. I mean, there's certain suffering in the world that makes sense, perhaps, but then there's suffering that seems so absurd, either in its extremity or in its randomness. You know, there's just like no explanation for this kind of suffering. And this is the kind of suffering that the man Job experiences in the book of Job. So it deals with this very basic but also uh, painful question of, 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 of why suffering and what does suffering mean when it seems so meaningless sometimes. Um, so there was a man whose name was Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. This will be repeated several times. He feared God and stayed away from evil. So Job is just presented as a man of, of integrity. He's not sinless and like Jesus, understand. But as far as human beings go, you won't find one better. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of idea. On top of that, he was very, very wealthy. Uh, in the beginning of the book of Job, the wealth that is attributed to Job is just astronomical. He has beautiful children, 10 children, seven sons, three daughters, sheep, camels, teams of oxen, uh, female donkeys, many, many, many servants, um, the richest person in the land, right? Verse 4, this little bit about uh, the, the sons of Job, and, and that's not the language of the New Living Translation. It just says Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes and invite their three sisters. But uh, it's the sons of Job. What I'm noticing in, in the prologue, and the prologue is chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 1 and 2 were like the narrative prologue, this, the story that sets up all of these poetic chapters here in the middle. So these first two chapters are different. It's the, it's the narrative prologue. And in the narrative prologue, just notice this back and forth. We'll have a scene in heaven, a scene on earth, a scene in heaven, a scene on earth. And, and there's some parallels that are interesting. For example, in verse 4, Job's sons, the sons of Job's would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. The Hebrew here makes it clear that these are birthday celebrations. They had feasts each on his day or her day. The idea is the day of her birth, the day of his birth. So Job's children would take turns having each other over to their homes. They celebrated birthdays. Now, that sounds kind of random and perhaps, you know, sort of ordinary, but pay attention to all of the references to birthdays in the prologue in chapters one and two. You know, ultimately Job's going to curse the day that he was born, you know, curse his own birthday, you know? So I'm just kind of having fun, you know, connecting those dots and paying attention to that. And, and I want you to as well. So the sons of Job get together on their birthdays. And, and after those feasts, Job would always come back around and just pray to God, you know, it's it's a picture of a very pious, a, a very God-fearing man who loves his children and would protect them in all the ways that he can, although ultimately he can't protect them in all the ways. It's it's the picture of the the love, the, the burden, and the terrible vulnerability of being a dad, being a parent. And, and so that's the earthly scene. Now we switch to the heavenly scene. And at this point, the sons of God. 
come together. You see that parallel? The sons of Job get together on earth. The sons of God get together in heaven. Now, we don't mean literal sons of God. It's a way of talking about the heavenly court. You know, whatever creatures, whoever it is that makes up the divine court, uh, the, the, the sons of God, the, the heavenly court get together. But I love that parallel, the sons of Job, the sons of God. Uh, that, that's just me. But in this group, the sons of God, the heavenly court, we've got the accuser, Satan. The New Living Translation will go ahead and capitalize Satan, but in the book of Job, in the Hebrew version, it's, it's not so much a proper name as a title. The Satan, Hasatan, it says the, the Satan, the accuser. We know that it's Satan, it's the devil. It's, I mean, there's only one, right? But, but in the Old Testament here, it's, it's, it's more a, a divine function. You know, he has a role to play, which is so bizarre to us. And I can't answer your questions about why, what, what he's doing walking around up there in heaven, you know, with, with the other members of the heavenly court. And I don't know. I don't know. You know, I've heard people say that maybe this is before Satan is defeated and cast out, or perhaps he still has this, you know, ability to accuse us before God. I, I don't know. I don't know. Can't answer that question. Let's just, you know, preview. By the time we get to Job, there are going to be a lot of questions I can't answer, so, so I'm sorry. Um, but, but at this point, let's just accept the story for what it is. The Satan, the accuser, comes before God, and uh, God says, where you been? You know, I mean, it's not like God doesn't know, but, but anyway, they, they begin this conversation, and um, Job says, yeah, I've been down there patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. You know, the Scripture says the devil, you know, like a lion seeking somebody to devour, and and God says, hey, what about Job? <laughs> Whew, you know, I, I can't question God. But it's like, you know, God, just why, why do you bring him up? You know, it's almost like God puts the target on his back. And he doesn't. But, you know, I mean, you know, if Satan and God are in any kind of conversation today, I don't want God to bring up my name. <laughs> you know, please don't say, hey, have you noticed, you know, Tim Harris, Pat, you know, don't, don't, don't point me out. If I'm not on the devil's radar, don't put me on his radar. But at any rate mysteries in the beginning of this story. God says, what about Job? And the devil says, yeah, well, let's talk about him. Yeah, he looks good on the outside, but who wouldn't fear you? Who wouldn't be a good person? Anybody could be a good person the way you blessed him. You won't let me get at him. You got a heads around him. I, I can't touch him. You know, you're giving him all this wealth. You give him seven sons and three daughters and, you know, female donkeys and servants. And he's, you know, got a big house and country club membership and a fancy car. And man, who wouldn't love you? All right. All right, so just understand, from our perspective, the question in Job is why suffering? You know, why this, why arbitrary suffering? What's the meaning of that? But there's another question that sort of runs through the book of Job, and it's just simply, why are we God-fearers? Why do we love him? Would we love him if he didn't bless us? Is there something innate about God that would inspire our worship? or Are we only devoted to him because he's good to us? You know, it's a heavy question, but understand that that question runs through the book too. It's the heavenly question. You know, the earthly question, you know, why are we suffering? But the earthly, the heavenly question there is a, why do people love God and worship God and respect him? Is it only because he gives good things? And so uh, God allows that question to be put to the test in the life of Job. That question, why do people love him? Why do people worship him? Why do people fear him? Is it only because he's good? Because what if, what if he's no longer going to be the source of good things? Will you love him then? And so the, 
devil gets a, a little bit of liberty to go after Job and, and test him. Um, it's, uh, it's, it sets up a, a, a terrible kind of frightening kind of scene where the devil now is going to be able to go after Job and all of his blessings. Uh, just understand, we have the prologue. So we know going into this book, what Job doesn't know, what his friends don't know, we know why this is happening. We know where it's coming from. It's coming from the devil. We know all of that. Job doesn't know. And, and that's kind of what makes the whole book uh, amazing. We get to watch this man begin to reckon and wrestle with the cruelty of life and the goodness of God. You see? And so uh, notice a couple of things. Notice that there are waves of attack. The devil doesn't just come at Job in one fell swoop. It's, you've heard me say before, when the devil wants to devour you, he doesn't send a shark to you know, swallow you in one bite. He sends a thousand minnows, you know? Isn't that how it is? A thousand minnows. And so it's just this wave after wave. And, and notice they alternate again. The first time it's the, 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 the Sabaeans. The second time it's fire from heaven. It's earthly. It's heaven. It's earthly. It's heaven. The next time it's the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans come and they destroy. But then it's, it's a wind that comes and flattens. It's a tornado that comes and flattens the house. So it's like act of God, you know, act of people, act of God, the... The waves of suffering just come from every direction to Job, back and forth, back and forth, these alternating sources of devastation. But here we see at the end uh, of, of chapter one, Job stands up and tears his robe in grief, shaves his head, falls to the ground. That's what anybody would do in the face of suffering. And he says, I came into this life with nothing. I will leave this life with nothing. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he passes the first test. I mean, it's a devastating kind of test. And you kind of want this to be the end, but it's not the end. There will be more testing for Job and, uh, and much, much more for us to think about. So that's the beginning of the book of Job. I can't wait to do this with you. I'm really excited. So if you didn't read today, read Job chapter 1. And then for tomorrow, read Job chapter 2 all the way through verse 13. Job chapter 2 is pretty short. So by the end of tomorrow, we'll have read both chapters 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Job. So there you go. We have started the book of Job. We will go verse by verse, and you're going to do it with me. So stay in the Word. Stay with me. Did I say I love you? Man, I love you guys so much. This is going to be great. I'm so excited to read Job with you. So jump into it, get ready to uh, ask some tough questions, and let's learn what God would have us to learn from this amazing book of Job. I love you guys. I'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. Have a good Monday.